Have you called your mom today? I've shared this before, but this is the number one day. The telephone companies handle more phone calls on this day than any other day of the year. Anybody called their mom yet today? All right, the rest of you get with it. Mom, I'm just going to say hi from here. Okay. It's a special day It's gifts and cards, and I'd love to tell a little story from last night, but I'm not going to yet because I, I don't have permission. But it's one of those days where you see men, you know, these really gruff, tough men, and, and young boys going into Hallmark cards and not knowing what in the world they're doing there. They're so out of their element, trying to find something that expresses emotions which we don't do well in the first place. So it's phone calls and cards and gifts and all those different things for Mother's Day. It reminds me of a story of a, a very wealthy, wealthy young, young son. He'd, he'd made a fortune. And it was Mother's Day, and he so wanted to bless his mom with something so special that she would remember this Mother's Day for the rest of her life. So he went into all places, a pet store. And there was this bird. Oh my, was it a bird. This was a special, special bird. This bird was an expensive bird. $30,000 for this bird. Price didn't matter. He didn't care. He was rich. It didn't matter. What made this bird so special was, and he knew his mother would love this bird, was it could whistle Amazing Grace. It could quote the 23rd Psalm perfectly. And when the sun went down, it automatically prayed the Lord's Prayer. He says, i got to buy this bird for my mother. She's going to love it. So he bought the bird for $30,000. He shipped it to his mom. And on Mother's Day, he calls his mom and he says, Mom, how did you like the bird? And she goes, oh, son, it was delicious. (laughs) It's delicious. Better than chicken, I'm sure. I want to start with a little humor because I'm going to spend a few minutes now on stuff that's not so funny. And what I want to just focus on for a few moments is what's happening to the family in America today. And it's mostly not good. The family unit was designed by God to be the backbone of America. And not just America, of every culture on the earth. The family unit was to be the the foundation, the backbone of a society and of a culture. And in the past decades, and some of the people who actually study this kind of thing say for the last 100 years in America, the family unit has been disintegrating in this nation. It's been going backwards. It's being attacked. It's been attacked subtly at first, but now it's turned into a blatant attack on the family unit, the family structure. It's being made fun of, it's being maligned, it's being ridiculed, it's being slandered. Shoot, it's even being vilified as if it's the problem in our culture today. And it's not just happening here and there. I mean, uh, some of us that remember the beginning of the real radical feminist movement was damaging to the family unit. Judges that are making decisions in our courts that are tearing apart family units. Our lawmakers that are passing laws that are having an unbelievably negative effect on the family. Psychologists 
who are redefining terms and, and making certain things acceptable and other things unacceptable, and it's all backwards. It's the old calling good evil and evil good scenario coming out of people that we would expect to know better. We see it in school districts, college professors, politicians seeking votes, doing all kinds of things, tearing apart. And then there's our media, who's giving voice to almost all of the above, making fun of the family unit, portraying the family unit as something way different than God designed it to be, and trying to infiltrate our minds and our homes with all this information that they're spewing out at us to make what they're presenting as the acceptable norm. And if you disagree with it from a biblical perspective, you're an intolerant, bigoted, homophobe, and just keep going on down the line. They've got all kinds of names for you and me if we stand for a biblical family and what God declares it to be. The idea of a traditional family. You know, try to define that these days. They're doing all that they can out there in the world to redefine and eliminate traditional family. There is no such thing as traditional. That's old-fashioned. It's ridiculous. But that traditional family, where it's one man, one woman, married for life, raising children, that that type of family is just being attacked. And as it is disintegrating, so is our society, so is our culture, and so is our country. Because the family unit is supposed to be the foundation. If you're a, a family who is trying to teach biblical truths about morality, about integrity, about honesty, about commitment, about respect for authority, teach that there is such a thing as absolute truth, Teach that there's a higher purpose, that there's a higher calling. They consider you crazy and foolish. And that kind of thinking is being replaced by humanistic religion. They don't call it religion, but it is. It's a humanistic religion where self is God. And anything you want to believe is true. And the most important thing is Whatever you want or think or feel, you have a right to do. That's the religion that's being propagated in our culture today, totally contrary to the biblical model of a tradition nuclear family. And it is so under attack. And that's what you and I are up against as parents, as grandparents, as future parents, and his spiritual mothers and fathers. Now, I'm going to be talking and, and referring to mothers a lot, but, boy, we need to hear it, man. So much of it's our fault, the man's fault in America and around the world. And so often, it's the women that are trying to make up and compensate for the failure of the man. But we want to focus a little bit today on the ladies and mothers. This, this challenge that we're facing isn't new. God's not surprised, and neither should his people be. There have been challenges like this throughout history. This isn't new. It's terrible, but it's not new. 
we need to remind ourselves continually that God is still in control. And He has still not changed the mandate that He's given to us as Christians. And the mandate can be simply stated in Proverbs 22, verse 6. It's not very complicated, challenging to accomplish, but the mandate's clear. We are to train up a child in the way that he should go. For even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go. This is the manual, the Word of God. Train him up. Start young, really young. Like before they're born young. And be implanting this in them. And we're going to be focusing this morning on a mom in the Bible. Um, and, I, and, I, and my goal isn't to be doom and gloom. Although that was. See why I started out with a joke? It's pretty heavy what's happening in our country and really in lots of the countries of the world with the family being destroyed. And we have got our hands full as, as parents, grandparents, part of the family of Christ trying to raise up our children in the way that would honor God. But I want to focus on a lady, a mom in the Bible. Now, I told my mom yesterday when she asked me what I was going to preach on, I said, mothers. And I said, I'm going to talk about a a, a mom of one of the most famous men in the Bible. And she goes, oh, Jesus? And I go, shoot, she's right. He's probably the most famous one. And I said, no, not Jesus. Another really famous one. And I said, we're going to talk about the mother of Moses. And it's interesting, when you look at the mother of Moses, um, the main story about her, Exodus 2, verses 1 through 10, doesn't even give you her name. Doesn't even give you her name. You have to look further in, in, in Exodus chapter 6, I believe it is, where her name is listed, her and her husband's name. Just kind of a, in a litany of the, the people, the leaders of Israel. Her name is Jacobed. And Jacobed was the mother of Moses. And before we look at the, the context or the, 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 the text in, in verses 1 through 10, I want to give a little bit of background just so we're all on the same page of what kind of culture they were living in at this time when, as parents, I, I think it's pretty safe to assume that. Amram and Yukot and his wife, I can hardly say her name, Jacobed, probably were praying about, should we have another child? They already had two. They had a daughter named Miriam, and they guess she was probably somewhere between 13 and 15, and they also had a son named Aaron. And they're living in Egypt. And some of the context of where are they living, if you recall the story of Joseph, when, when Joseph was sold into slavery, he ultimately ended up as the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. Only under Pharaoh. And, and the people were blessed. The Hebrew people were blessed as a nation. They were given some of the best land, and they prospered and multiplied like crazy. And everything was pretty good, even though they were in a foreign land. But then it says to us that Joseph died, And all the generation of Joseph died, and there was a new king or a new pharaoh. And it says this, and it's kind of interesting the way it says it, and there was a new king who knew not Joseph. Meaning, Joseph had died. He didn't know what Joseph had done. What he saw was, wow, look at all the Hebrews. There are so many of them. 
if they would ever join with our enemies and leave the land, we're in trouble. So fear took over in Pharaoh's mind, and all of a sudden he starts looking at the Hebrews differently. He doesn't have any respect for the God of the Hebrews. He doesn't have any respect for the life of the Hebrews, and he makes them slaves. So a nation who had been living freely in the foreign land of Egypt now becomes a nation of slaves. And he makes an edict. He says, I want all of the Hebrew midwives, when you go to the Hebrew women to deliver their babies, if it's a boy, kill it. If it's a girl, let it live. Well, the Hebrew midwives couldn't force themselves to do this. So Pharaoh calls some of the midwives together and he says, what's going on? I see all these Hebrew babies and their boys and you're supposed to be killing them. And they come up with a, I would call it a half lie. It actually could have been true. But what they said was, O Pharaoh, O king, you don't understand. These Hebrew women, they're different than us, the Egyptian women. These Hebrew women, they're so strong and, and healthy. They have that baby before we can even get there, and they're already out in the fields afterwards. So Pharaoh said, okay, all right, here's what we're going to do. And in Exodus 1, verse 22, Pharaoh says this. He commands all the people saying, Every son who is born, you are cast into the Nile River. And every daughter you can keep alive. So it wasn't just the midwives now, it was all the people. Kill them. Every boy that's born. And when you look at that, you, you, you think, how could it get that way? But it's really interesting to me that in our own country we seem to be living in a day and a culture where many of the leaders who govern our country do not know Joseph. What do I mean by that? They don't know Joseph. They neither reverence the God of the Bible or have any respect for human life. We live in that kind of culture. It's a culture that was familiar to Jacobed and her, and her husband. That's where they were living. Can you imagine the burden these circumstances would put on a young couple who wants to have a family? Can you imagine if it's you and you want to have a family? Do we dare have another child? What if it's a boy? What do we do? I can't imagine a Hebrew mother delivering this baby boy and having it ripped out of her hands and thrown into a crocodile-infested Nile River. The grief, the concern. Would you even consider having a child? That's what they were facing. That's what Amram and his wife, Jacobed, were facing. Do they choose to bring another child into the world or don't they? And that brings me to our text in Exodus chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi, that would be Amram, went and married a daughter of Levi, that would be Jacobed. You'd have to go to Genesis chapter 6 to find their names. It says, The woman conceived and she bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. I don't want to take a very long rabbit trail, but it's an interesting phase. How many of you know a woman that's looked at their child and said, Boy, what an ugly kid. We all think they're beautiful, right? 
It's interesting that that's what's pointed out. And what's interesting, when you look in the book of Hebrews, when it's talking about the faith of Moses, it refers to this beautiful child. And then when Stephen is, just before he's about to be stoned and he's making his defense, when he makes reference to Moses, he says, a beautiful child. I think it goes way beyond recognizing that this was a pretty baby. I think it was very recognizable, but this was a very special child. I can't help but believe that Amram and Jacobet didn't pray about this child way before they ever decided to have another child. And they felt by faith that God had told them to have this child. When you look through the story and you check it out in Hebrews and you see all the things that are said, it becomes clear and obvious because they say, by faith, Moses was born. Back on track. But when she could not hide him any longer, it says she hid him for three months, but when she could not hide him any longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. And then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister, Miriam, stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent her maid, and she brought it to her. And when she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the boy was crying. Who can resist a crying baby? And she had pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from among the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses and said, Because I drew him out of the water. There are some things I wish I knew for sure that I could tell you were absolutely... I could document, but we don't know for sure how long Jacobed had Moses when it was returned to her. But from everything you read, it's obvious that there was a foundation of biblical truth laid into Moses' life at a young age. It was not untypical to nurse till at least they were two years old, and it was quite common that they might nurse even up to age four or five. But however long, we can see that the life of Moses there was a godly foundation put in this child when he was very, very, very young. So you ask yourself, what were they thinking? In the culture they were in, the, the, the way things were, the, the no value to the life of a Hebrew boy, the threat of danger, personal danger, if you violated Pharaoh's edict, what were they thinking? Well, if you look into Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, you kind of get an idea that I referred to already. It says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Moses, I am convinced, was a faith baby. By faith, they decided to go ahead and and have another child. By faith, this baby was born knowing it was a 50-50 chance it could have been a boy. Uh, I personally believe the chance is 100% it was going to be a boy. 
Because God had a plan. He had a plan. And we see the story here of this, this amazing, godly mother. This amazing, godly mother. Who we don't even get her name. Which to me is a picture of the credit and sometimes the gratitude and recognition moms get in general. Jacobet doesn't even get her name mentioned. But my oh my, was she a woman of faith. And was she a godly mom. Her name, it's interesting, her name, Jacobet, what it means in the Hebrew is the glory of Jehovah. Or Jehovah is her glory. Jacobet, the glory of God. This godly woman, this godly mother. God was her glory. Whichever way you look at it, it seems so appropriate. And we see this challenge she is facing. And boy, I don't care whether you're a biological mom, a grandma, or a spiritual mom, you face challenges with the children that you are speaking into the lives of. There are so many challenges. We may not face a challenge quite like having to throw your baby or throw that child into the river. But there are challenges nonetheless. Challenges that can impact their life forever. Some of us and some of you face challenges. I, I, I know. I know some of your stories. I know there's some people in here that had the opportunity to have an abortion. Got pregnant out of wedlock. There's choices. There's a challenge. What do I do? I know that there's some of you in here that have had abortions. I just want to say to you, your child is in heaven and you will see him someday. And that God is not holding that sin against you. There is no place for guilt or shame. Those things are of the devil. Abortion's not right, but neither is living with guilt and shame the rest of your life. And I don't want anybody to hear that I'm saying something other than that to those of you that have had abortions. Because you'd be shocked how many of them there are in this room. But in our culture, it's become an acceptable alternative. In God's culture, it's not. It's a choice. It's a challenge that has to be faced. We see this woman's faith. Man, talk about faith. She is facing all kinds of things. And everything from deciding to have a child by faith. Now it's born and it's a boy. Wow. By faith, she decides... After three months, I've got to do something. Everybody's now discovering I have a baby boy. I'm going to put it in the river. So she takes this baby boy and makes this ark out of this basket, pitch, covers it, and by faith she puts it in the river. Boy, what is, that? What is she really doing there? As a mom, can you imagine putting it in the river? I personally think they, they knew that the princess was probably coming down to bathe. I don't think they were just hoping to get lucky. But it was still an act of faith. How would the princess respond? That princess could have just as easily, when one of her maids brought it over and says, here's this crying Hebrew baby, said, throw him in the river. That's what she was supposed to do as the princess of Pharaoh. But by faith, this mother released this baby into God's hands. That's faith. And boy, as moms, there's times you just have to let them go and put them into mom's hands or God's hands. 
You want to keep them in mom's hands, but you can't. And by faith, she let go. Even when she didn't understand why, she was able to trust God. So we see the challenge that she's facing, we see the faith that she has, and we see the courage that can come out of that kind of faith. And not only was there this risk of her baby being thrown into the river, but when she didn't, she was at personal risk. But she refused to go with the flow. She refused to give in to the culture. She refused to give in to the edict of Pharaoh. She refused to focus on her own life. She refused to, to worry about how comfortable she was going to be. She, she refused to, to, to want to live a convenient, safe life. She refused all those things and decided in her courage and faith, she refused to bow to Egypt. Basically, she feared God way more than she feared man. What a godly mother. And then we see her sacrifice, letting go of her child. You know, when she put that child in the, in the river, I'm sure a best-case scenario would have said someone like the princess would have kept it. And at least her son wouldn't have been killed. But what happens? She releases it into God's hands and God gives it right back to her. Shall I get a Hebrew woman to nurse the baby for you? Your Highness. Yeah, that'd be great. Can you imagine? Mom, guess what? I'm bringing him back. And now you're protected by the princess of Egypt. And for how long, we don't know. But she was ready and willing again to sacrifice, knowing full well there was going to come a day when the princess was going to come and say, thank you so much. I'll take the child now. Boy, being a mom biological or spiritual, is a life of sacrifice. If you're into self and selfishness, you're not going to do well momming. It won't work. You really lay down your life for your child. It's what godly moms do. In the case of Jacobed, we see that she gave up this child that she couldn't hold on to anyway, and God gave it back to her in spades. So we see a picture of this godly woman who didn't even get named. And I think we can see how in the life of a mom in our culture in this world today, every one of us, every one of you has to fit into that, that definition, the challenges you face, the faith, the courage, the sacrifice. It's just not easy and it's getting harder every day. But we can trust God. We can trust God. I'm going to change the direction just a little bit with what I'm sharing, and I want to focus on, of all things, the words that came out of the princess's mouth in verse 9. I really believe when I look at those words, she had no idea what she was speaking. I believe it's almost if God is talking to every single parent there was ever going to be, or every single adult that would ever have an opportunity to speak into the life of a child, whether it's as biological or spiritual. Look at the words. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away. Nurse him for me. And I will give you your wages or your reward. Three very, I think, powerful little phrases in there. 
Take this child. That is God's charge to every single one of us. Whether it's your biological children or grandchildren or your spiritual children, he's saying, take this one. This one that I put before you, whoever it is, whoever that person is, whoever that child, take this one because this one's special to me. I have a plan for this child's life. I have a destiny for this child's life. Before I formed this child in the mother's womb, I knew him and I knew the plan. Take this child. We are are, are to consciously commit ourselves to do all that we can to prepare and equip this child to fulfill the plan and call that God has on their life. That's our goal. That should be our goal. This child. And the next phrase, it seems to me even to be more powerful, Nurse him for me. Nurse him for me. First of all, for me. This is God's child. First and foremost. And he's giving us, or you, the responsibility and the great privilege of nursing this child for him. It's not about me. It's not about you. Believe it or not, it's not about the child. It's about him. Nurse this child for me. And some of us need to even just be reminded is simply it's not about the child. Part of our problem in so many of our homes is our children, we think it's all about our children and we forget how to teach the word no or put any restraints or any controls or any boundaries in place. We've got to give them everything they want. No. This is about God. God does not raise children that way. Anybody ever been disciplined by the Lord? Anybody never been disciplined by the Lord? He loves us too much not to discipline us. And that's part of our role. We are to provide, nurse. What does it mean to nurse this child for me? To nurse. We need to provide for this child for their physical development. It's a given. That we're given this helpless, beautiful little baby. And it's our responsibility to feed it, to nourish it. To nurse that child means to do all that we can to develop their intellectual ability. You know, when Jacobed gave birth to this little boy who was under the, the curse of Pharaoh to be thrown in the river and killed, she did not know that he was going to change the world. And you don't know what your child is going to do. But God does. He may have given you a world changer. He's going to change the world. It's just a matter of how big that world is. And that's our goal and our focus, to provide for that intellectual development and then to nurse them in the things that are important to God, the really important things like their Christian faith. What does it mean to truly love unconditionally? To teach them how to love, to teach them obedience. What does it mean to obey and respect authority? What does it mean to grow up and be a child who's got integrity, commitment, we need to nurse them with all those things because that's what God has planned when He decided to make this family unit the foundation of our, our culture and our society. And boy, is it hard work. And teaching them this. And you know, it's hard to teach someone this if I don't believe this. 
and I don't say this as someone who's got it figured out, but we need to teach our children that everything they do should bring glory and honor to God. That's their purpose of life. And for me to be able to teach that to my children, I need to know that in my own heart, in my own mind, and it needs to become a governing tool in my life. Does the way I treat my children's mother bring glory and honor to God? Does the way I speak bring glory and honor to God? Does the way I work in the workplace and carry myself with honesty and integrity, does it bring glory and honor to God? Everything in my life and everything in my children's life should be geared in that direction. That's our purpose for living, to bring glory and honor to God. Don't know what it's always going to look like, but that's the purpose. We need to continually remind our children, teach them, the reason we want to please the Lord is He purchased us with an unbelievable price. The Son, Jesus, who died for us. Going back to Proverbs 22.6, it said, Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. One of the ways we need to nurse that child is to live a life that's an example to them. Live a life of example. We need to nurse them in prayer, not only praying for them, but to teach them how to pray. Spending time with the Lord. Boy, when, when she said, nurse that child for me, there's a huge mandate for us to nurse these children for the Lord. Speak and teach at the earliest age. When would be a good time to start teaching these kids these things? I mean, have you read any of the research upon how many things that you can do while the baby's still in your womb to influence that child? It's crazy. According to Jewish tradition, the mother, from almost the moment of birth on, would continually whisper in their child's ear, Jehovah is God. Jehovah is God. Jehovah is God. Did they understand? No, but it was becoming part of their soul. Jehovah is God. At the earliest age, I don't know how long Moses got to stay in his mother's house after he came out of the the rushes but we do know the impact of what he learned had on his life in hebrews chapter 11 verse 24 listen to what it says by faith moses when he had grown up refused to be called the son of pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of god than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin considering the reproach of christ greater riches than the treasures of egypt for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was unseen. A foundation was laid that caused Moses, when growing, to have that kind of attitude. And that's the last part of that verse that Pharaoh's daughter said, take this child, nurse it for me, and you will receive wages, a reward. There is a reward. There is a reward. Jacob had got to keep her baby for three months hidden. It was given back to her to take care of for who, ne- who, know- who knows how long. She was rewarded with a child who received the finest education on planet Earth at the time. She was rewarded with a son who rejected the ways of the world, as I just read. She was rewarded with a, a child who fulfilled God's calling on his life with all the bumps 
and all the ups and downs in his life, he fulfilled his calling. And she was rewarded with the son who God used to change the world. Man, we've got a big job as parents. And you moms, you've got a big job. There is something about a mom and the bond with their children, the influence and the impact that you guys have. It's amazing. And again, I want to just reaffirm and reassure those of you with your spiritual children, it's the same way. You start speaking to the lives, older women, speak into the lives of these younger women. Find a spiritual daughter or son that we can speak into and have an impact on. It's an amazing privilege and responsibility that we have. Lots of challenges. As long as we keep our faith and trust in God, there will be the courage and the sacrifice that are needed. And there will be many rewards amongst all the little setbacks. As a matter of fact, I am totally convinced the rewards will not only be into this life, but they are going to spill into eternity as we glorify God and raising the children that he puts in our path gives us an opportunity to have influence over. So let's close in prayer. And if you have a lady next to you and they'll allow you to put their hand on their shoulder, I want you to pray for them, guys. We need to pray for our wives, our, our children, our young girls, our grandmas. Lord, we do thank you and praise you. Larry, you got your hand on my mom for me? Okay, good. Thank you. Lord, we pray for these women. We thank you for them. God, we thank you for the hearts of moms, spiritual moms, biological moms. God, we are amazed by what you put in these women. The unbelievable patience and and compassion, the ability to love. God, the ability to nurture. God, we thank you for them. God, I pray you even give them greater grace to even be better at it than they've been before. God, and I pray that if there is anyone here who's feeling condemnation or going through the list of what he should have or could could have been, Lord, I pray that that place of guilt or condemnation has no place in the heart of any of these ladies. God, I thank you and praise you for them. Bless them for their willingness to serve you, their commitment to raise up sons and daughters, spiritual sons and daughters. Bless them this day and every day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.